Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger came into the studio for the Mayor's Town Hall. And also, how would you summarize Ontario's politics in 2018? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. And yes, we will go to your phone calls. You might want to talk about oh, cannabis, uh, maybe a couple of other things that might be on your mind. 905-645-3221 is our number. If you're on a cell phone, it's toll-free at star 9900. Emails, bkelly at 900chml.com. And Twitter at chmlbillkelly. Your emails, your tweets, and your phone calls. Uh, you want to get into the queue right now, we'll go to your calls in a couple of minutes. Uh, right here on the Bill Kelly Show. Mr. Mayor, good to have you back here. Good to have you back as well. Listen, you, you, you kind of caught me by surprise here. I didn't know that the federal government was looking at the basic income pilot well, project. Which, uh, listen on the show later today. All right. Well, you know what? That's uh, that's that's exciting news. You want to be informed, uh, just true. keep it right here on CHML. <laughs> that's our mantra. <laughs> Uh, let's let, let's talk about a, a, a number of different things I want to get into today. But clearly, I, I, I mentioned cannabis a couple of minutes ago. Mm. It's front and center right now. Council uh, had an opportunity to vote on this. They've kind of kicked it down the road again. Uh, talk to us about what you saw happening over the last couple of days. Well, it, it wasn't going to pass, uh, kind of quite frankly. So we we were actually buying some time so to get some additional information, uh, especially more granular information about policing costs. People are throwing out all kinds of numbers in terms of costs and negatives. Uh, and not a lot of numbers in terms of the positive. So we uh, we have a little bit more time till January the 14th to uh, to get some additional information and to uh, to do a poll in the broader community on our website uh, at uh, www.hamilton.ca. The people can go there, uh, you know, look up the uh, the cannabis issue, and the, the full report will be there, as well as the motion that's currently on the table, which is to opt out. And uh, and they can uh, you know express their opinion and uh, let us know whether they'd like uh, opt in or opt out. Um, you know, in, in in a general sense, I mean, I'm 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 hopeful that we uh, as, as a as a community, you know, partake in and uh, retail of this legal product. Uh, you know, there's a there's a there's certainly a fully you know, baked economic upside to it. I understand the argument against the province. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to change their mind. I think some of the effort that we're seeing out here is is to try and pull them back to the liquor control board approach. Uh, I know we have OPSU uh, weighing in for uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, they represent uh, some of the liquor control board uh, uh, unionized employees, so they're uh, they're they're working to try and uh, get the uh, the, pr- the premier to kind of back back up into the liquor control board approach. I, I would I would admit personally, I would I thought that that was a better way to go. Uh, you know, for our, for all of our communities, in fact. But uh, but they picked the uh, the kind of the private retail model. I don't think that's going to change. That was supported by AMO. It's been supported by, you know, the Chambers of Commerce from a business perspective. So there's a whole lot of elements happening here at the same time. And you know what? For, for some, it's a, it's a moral issue. Uh, you know, they, they still haven't got their heads wrapped around the fact that this has been legalized. It's now a legal product to consume. We're no, no, the same as alcohol or anything else. The same prohibitions for kids and, uh, you know, uh, children uh, 19 and under. And the same, uh, you know, impairment issues when it comes to uh, policing if you're impaired uh, driving a vehicle. So people are still trying to wrap their heads around that. And, uh, you know, there's that kind of the moral issue that others are kind of, uh, you know, working towards saying, I I don't support it because morally I think it's the wrong thing to do. So you put all of that into the mix 
it's about a 50-50 on council. Could go one way or the other. But the, the, the moral issue, of, with all respect to people's you know, stands on this stuff, is rather specious. I mean, it's voted on. This is not a vote as to whether or not this should be legalized. That ship has sailed. Right. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a vote uh, that, I mean, but, but you can't change people's mindsets around, you know, what, uh, what their kind of foundational beliefs were. And you, and you can see some of the members that are, you know, very strong morally on this issue struggling with that. Uh, and I and I respect that because I mean I think you know many of them uh, have uh, have a fundamental opposition to you know either alcohol or or drugs of any kind and you know certainly uh, you know many of us would have issues with some, m- many drugs that uh, we don't want people to consume opioids being one of them that uh, you know is a p- pretty significant problem but but uh, you know marijuana and cannabis I mean it's going to be here one way or the other as you say it's a legal product uh, you know sanctioned by the federal government you know I I think generally accepted as uh, is something that uh, is not going to uh, drive people into the, the the drug trade or the drug industry. It's not uh, you know not a beginner drug in it, a drug in any way, shape, or form, other than for those that are prone to be addicted to something or another. Anyway, but I understand the moral issue that some of them are grappling with. It shouldn't be part of their decision making process. But you know, if you've, if you've always felt that way, it's kind of hard to eliminate that through your through your thought process. Well, I get that, but I mean, the, the, the job here is to to look after the greater interests of the city. And uh, there's, there's a, I think, a very weak argument to say, well, let's opt out of this, because I think it's going to have more damage, cause more damage in the long term. And, and I want to ask you about the finances, because I know them that are opposed to this thing want more study, want more facts, and, the, and you know, what are the policing costs? Uh, by the way, when they asked for that report that's coming back to the next meeting, mm-hmm. did they also ask what the policing costs are now for enforcement? Yes. Okay, uh, that so was part of it. So I, p- I put that together, and, uh, you know, when I referred this thing, I said, give us give us the current cost for policing, and, you know, what, what, what monies are you expending right now, and compare that to what you predict will be the future costs. And I'm not so sure that there's going to be a, a significant difference, because they put an awful lot of time and effort into drug and drug-related well, that's my policing point. right now. So and, that, and so that that information. So we want to see the differential. Don't don't tell me what the, the future costs are going to be, and then just leave that as a number out there. And people they're throwing numbers around like five and ten million dollars for additional policing costs. It makes no sense in my in my view. Uh, there might be some uh, bylaw enforcement additional costs, and we've identified that. And uh, you know it's expected that'll come out of the six hundred and fifty thousand dollars that we'll get if we opt in. Well, you get, we get the 650 anyway, first first round, and then uh, there's a second 650 that we will not get if we opt out, and then we will not participate in the uh, the uh, 50% of the uh, excise tax that uh, will accrue in, oh, over 100 million dollars. And some of the estimates for Ontario in terms of the uh, that excise tax is in the billions. And so there's a significant amount of money to be to be had through that process to help offset any costs that we might incur. But don't so, you get a sense of deja vu? And I'm going to go back to your time when you were a councillor mm-hmm. uh, and the debate about whether to build the Red Hill and, and the, the well, as it turned out to be the Link. Uh, we had all the, the, the people that were opposed to that were doing the exact same thing that the, some of these councillors are doing right now. Uh, first of all, they said it was going to cost too much, and then they found out, no, no, it's not really. We can do this. Then, well, the operating costs on a, on a yearly basis are just, and they started pulling numbers out of the sky to, yeah. to try to validate their argument, and I'm hearing the same thing now. Yeah, there's elements of that, but, uh, you know, one of the one of the fundamental arguments that the uh, the other side is using is that this is not a good deal for the uh, city of Hamilton because it, it, it doesn't reflect the kind of uh, approach that they thought would have been a better approach, which is the Liquor Control Board approach. So there, there's a, some fundamental opposition to the But that's to not the their decision retail. to make. 
True. Uh, their, in their view, I'm just telling you what their know, view is. I, I don't share this view. Their view is that if we opt out, and many other municipalities opt out, that we have some strength to go to the province and say, you know, all of us are out. We'll go in if you change the rules. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they've they've already baked the, the regulation in. We see, you know, most of the major uh, you know, municipalities uh, opting in. Toronto, Ottawa, likely Burlington will. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see the rationale as to how we strengthen our hand by opting out. No, you don't, because then you're not a player. Right. I, you know, you've got to get in the game. Uh, I was talking to Councillor Clark about this yesterday because he had some concerns about this. And I said, look, at it. I said, if, if you opt in and take the money and you can go back to them in a year and say, you know what, this is not enough. Right. We, we played by your rules. It's not enough. You might get an ear. But if, if, if you don't, if you opt out and say, well, we need all these costs, uh, they're going to say, look, we offered, we offered this to you and you said no. No, exactly. Sorry, you, you don't want to play, then fine, you don't play. Uh, you know what? Uh, there, there's a philosophy involved. There's politics involved. There's morality involved here. Uh, you know, all of them are coming together onto this uh, great debate. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. If it, uh, you know, either way, it'll be a one-vote margin, opt-in or opt-out. But it's going to cost us an awful lot of money to opt out. It's going to cost us money. We'll we'll forego. Six, we know already that six hundred and fifty thousand dollars will be gone. You know, in the second round of funding, we won't get any of that. We'll get five thousand dollars, and we know that we will not get fifty percent of anything over a hundred million dollars in terms of excise tax. And we already know some estimates that 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 excise tax for Ontario is in the billions of dollars. So. I haven't done the calculation, but there's uh, you know many, many, many thousands of dollars that we forego in that process if we opt out because we will not participate in that, and we will we, and we won't get the economic uplift of an industry uh, in Hamilton, and we will continue to have uh, illegal pot shops here because people are going to get well. This that's product. that's that's important. You're playing right into the hands of the black market then, or the underground market. Clearly, if you do that, and they're they're, they're, they're yeah. the winners. If council opts out, they're the big winners here. They're, they're going to continue doing what they're doing now. We've now you know we were we were at eighty. Uh, you know, pot shops, and now we're down to 30. <clears throat> they're not going away right now because they're waiting to see what happens. If we opt out, they're still going to be there, and we're still going to have to do enforcement. We're going to have to do all, and, and they're going to play the same game, which is get get uh, get a charge leveled against them. Uh, you know, then they're into the court system. Uh, they'll play that up, but the next day they'll open up, and they'll, if they get another charge, they'll play that through the court system. You know, I mean, and, and they're making so much money, and, you know, and some of them are making, as one of the, you know, uh, presenters said some $85,000 per day, per day, you know, can you add that up over a week. And if the fine is $5,000 right now, which is currently what it is, uh, for an illegal uh, shop and the, and the, and the courts don't up, up, uphold the bigger numbers, then they're making money hand over fist. They're not going anywhere. Well, yeah, that number I think is, is, is very relative too. I mean, they're what a 31, I think that's what chief Kurt told me when he was here last right. week. Uh, but a lot of the people that gave up those shops of that 86 or whatever it was that were here a little while ago did so on the premise that they were going to try to apply for a license. If there are going to be no licenses for Hamilton because city council opts out, why wouldn't they open up again? You may be back to 81 before you know it. Could be. Yeah, you know, and I, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, now, the, the, the question will be, what, is the, what do the courts do with any charges that are pending? And I know the fines for uh, landlords and for uh, operators is now significantly higher. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to make a calculation or, you know, are those fines prohibitive enough to, uh, to stop me from, you know, doing, doing my daily trade here that's, that's pulling in $100,000 a day. So uh, they'll make a calculation, and if it's still profitable for them, they're going to do it. Listen, the other element to this is, and again, let's talk about this from a realistic standpoint. Uh, the industry's already here. I mean, we have operations here in the Hamilton area now. 
Uh, all council would be doing is saying, well, you know, that's fine, uh, but we'll take your tax dollars, but we're not going to allow any retail outlets. Well, we're not going to get any tax dollars. That's the that's the the sad part. Nor nor is the government. So uh, you know, part of uh, part of illegal trade is that you don't you don't pay taxes. Uh, you know, you know, none of that actually accrues. So we don't get any licensing fees. Uh, they don't pay any taxes. Uh, they they employ people and they pay them clearly under the table. So whatever they do in terms of that tax structure is uh, kind of up to them. So the benefits that are accruing to the the government to to be able to give back dollars to help offset costs actually gets diminished quite significantly if there's an illegal trade going on. And you know. What? And that trade has been there as long as you and I have been alive, uh, and 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 before that, whether it was a formalized shop or whether it was uh, you know people uh, you know selling it on the street corner, which is still happening today. So people have their preferred supplier, and uh, they'll just make a phone call and they'll get whatever they need. And listen, as to the argument, I know I'm just kind of checking off all these boxes, yep. uh, that the money that the province is putting out there is not nearly enough. And I know a couple of councillors have mentioned that. In all the years you've been in municipal politics, have you ever, ever encountered a program from either the feds or the province and where you said, wow, that's way too much money for us? <laughs> of course it's never enough money. It never is. No, it's but, not. But they're not going to hand over more money just because you whine about it. I mean, the reality is you've got to try to make it work. I think I think they've made some calculations, some estimates in terms of what they expected the differential cost might be, and I think they based it on on those numbers. But you know, we we're all in a wait and see kind of approach. This is this is new territory, relatively new territory, and I think the comparator that they're using, and the province is clearly doing that, and the premier is they're using liquor licensing as a, as a, you know a foundation of what they're what they're doing, and they're doing it through the exact same process, the uh, the AGCO, the Liquor Control Board uh, operation. And they're uh, monitoring through that process, and they're, and they're, they're, and I'm pretty sure they're saying to policing, well, you're already policing, you know, uh, substances or, or in impaired driving or illegal trade. All of that's already happening. How, mu- how much more resources do you need to go over and above, uh, you know, what's currently happening now? And the resources would have to do more with shutting down the illegal pot shops. And the irony is that if we forego that revenue, we're still going to have to be working on shutting down those pot shops. So... It's a bit of a catch-22. Well, the other element to this, too, is as of now, the government said they're only going to give out 25 licenses. I mean, what are the chances of Hamilton getting maybe more than one or two at the best? Well, the estimate is we could could have seven. Somebody said I'm not sure what they based that number on, but it's not very likely. Uh, and and they're going to apply for that license uh, one way or the other. And uh, you know if we have if we have said no or opted out, then you know some somewhere along the line, I, I expect we're going to opt in. I, I, I of course I we are. I, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And even if we don't, if we if we stay opted out, there's going to be a court challenge on this. Uh, you know the, the the people's rights to uh, to a legal product to be able to market that and retail that and have a business and operation. I think are going to be challenged, and uh, I think every community that's opted out is going to be uh, going to be part of that challenge. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the courts are going to say it's it's unconstitutional for you to not allow people to to get access to a legal product. It's like like su- suggesting to people that you can't have liquor anymore, and and, and we're going to have the the whole town be dry. How'd that work? That, out? that isn't going to last very long. So uh, you know the comparisons between. I mean, I find it ironic that both of them are. Uh, Psycho, psychosomatic, uh, you know, uh, 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 substances, right? Uh, alcohol and, and uh, cannabis. And, uh, and they're being treated in very significantly different ways by, you know, our wanting more revenue out of that process. We don't get any revenue out of liquor. 
the only thing that we do, we do is uh, we, we house liquor control uh, outlets in our community. Uh, we don't get any share of the revenue. We don't get any money for policing as a result of that. And the, the, the problems with liquor is way off the charts relative to cannabis. So it's, it's kind of ironic that uh, one of our biggest challenges, which is a sub, in, in terms of substance abuse, is alcohol. Uh, in terms of policing, in, in terms of health issues, in terms of uh, family disputes and uh, the courts, uh, you know, alcohol is at the top of the list in terms of uh, the problems that it generates. And we get no additional funding to help offset those costs through policing or any other resource. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us in studio. Uh, let's go to Paul. Paul, thanks for holding on today. Appreciate your patience. How are you doing? Not too bad. You? Good, good. Go ahead for the mayor. Um, I want to know why the city doesn't have any policy to prevent investors from buying buildings with affordable rental units in them just for the purpose of eliminating those units to make themselves richer. In terms of uh, converting that to condominium, you mean? Well, actually, the building I'm living in is being turned into offices. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think uh, you know one of the one of the challenges is we have zoning categories, and uh, you know, depending on what the zoning category allows for, you know, the owner, whoever the owner might be, has certain options to decide what they want to do with the building. So, uh, you know, we have we do have a housing crisis uh, in the city of Hamilton, no doubt about that. Uh, we're we're taking measures in a whole bunch of different ways to uh, to try and address that. Uh, one of them is not, though, to uh, require building owners to, uh, you know, n- not have options in terms of how they use their buildings, especially especially buildings that are have been converted into apartments. So some that would not not naturally have been an apartment might have been a single family residential, might have been non-conforming when they allowed the uh, the uh, the apartment units to happen, and uh, and, it, and it likely is in a commercial zoning as it sits right now. So therefore, they would be allowed to make some adjustments and changes, and that. That's part of the planning act uh, governed by the province of Ontario that we have to adhere to. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're Appreciate welcome. your call. Thanks so much. Uh, it's 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 a conundrum, and oftentimes I know that councillors feel as if their hands are being tied by situations, but the rules are the rules. I mean, there's a similar situation going on in Dundas right now at a University Plaza where a lot of the residents don't like some of the plans there. And, you know, yeah, it's it's hurtful when a councillor has to go back and say, yeah, but they're allowed to do that. Yeah, I mean, I know, I understand that, you know, especially in that instance where, you know, people have this uh, desire to have a grocery store there nearby to them, something they're used to, comfortable with, and, uh, you know, that that's understandable that, uh, you know, no, no one could argue against that. But if you have a zoning category that says commercial uses, and that commercial uses has a range of, uh, you know, things that, that can happen in there, including retail, including, uh, you know, grocery store, <clears throat> including hairdresser, salon, and whatever, uh, then whoever, uh, you know, acquires that property or has uh, management of that property has options, and they uh, they can choose those options within the rules. So does the city have then the right to go in and say, we don't like that use? Uh, we don't define uses. We de- we define zoning categories and ranges within that category. And then whatever the, uh, the, uh, the operator owner decides to do within that category is legitimized. So I understand the angst that people are having in, uh, in Dundas, and uh, I wish I could, we could wave a magic wand and give them what they want. Um, the, the good news for those folks is that, you know, not too far away is, uh, you know, Fortino's and, uh, you know, the other way, there's still another Metro. So there's not, uh, there's not a complete dearth of, uh, grocery stores available to them, but it's, uh, this one that they've been accustomed to and it's convenient and, uh, it's walkable and, uh, those are all good things. 
I imagine that some people will make the argument that having a Canadian tire there with that many people frequent would be convenient and walkable and, uh, you know, accessible to them as well. So we'll probably have arguments on both sides of the equation. But, the, you know, the local neighbors, I, under, I fully understand. Uh, but they, they need to understand that uh, we, can't, we can't just arbitrarily decide that uh, we're going we're gonna to pick a grocery store over Canadian tire. That's just not something that we're allowed to do. Well, and you can't actually zone and say, well, there must be a grocery store in that plaza. I mean, what happens, happens. I mean, that's going to be... And that, by the way, this issue's not over. I know staff are still working with the the, the proponents there because there's some fine-tuning that needs to be yeah. done. I mean, there's some, some minor variants that they're working through, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to be they're going to be allowed to operate there as long as they meet some of the variances that they're they're asking for. And, um, you know, is it, is it going to be a, a noxious use? I don't think so. I think Canadian Tire is not, uh, you know, not, a, not an outrageous use and certainly a, a popular one for many people. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we uh, the, the market will determine whether there's a demand for another grocery store. I mean, the fact that this grocery store is leaving kind of says something about, uh, you know, the demand for that, that service in the area. Because generally speaking, retailers like to provide services where d- there's demand for service. Uh, it's kind of like the retail uh, cannabis issue. Uh, you know, if there's a demand, that's that demand is going to be fulfilled somehow. Uh, if there's a demand for an additional grocery store, I have no doubt that some other retail uh, chain will likely come in and say, uh, we, we, <clears throat> we see there's a gap here and uh, we want to fill it. Well, they have in the past. I mean, you know, that used to be a miracle mart way back in the day. And mm-hmm. I think it was a, a the barn at one time. And then, of course, it's into Metro. Anyway, circle of life or circle of commercial life, I guess. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Back to your phone calls here on the Bill Kelly Show. Cam, thanks for holding on. Go ahead for the mayor. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, I just want to uh, comment that um, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, uh, Mr. Mayor, you support opting in to uh, cannabis uh, re- retail stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually very surprised uh, to hear today that uh, half of council isn't. Uh, that, that shocks me, and, and I'm, I'm really disappointed to hear that. Um, I've already put a call in to my, my local councillor. I couldn't get a hold of him, but, uh, you know, people people need to call their councillors and, and weigh in on this because... Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is significant. I think it's ridiculous not to opt in. Well, I don't, uh, I, 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 I fully agree with you, uh, Cam. Uh, you know, there is an opportunity on the website. Uh, I want to refer you to and the listeners out there to, uh, to go to the Hamilton website and uh, click on the, the cannabis category. There's going to be a kind of a, a survey on there and, and the, uh, the, the motion as well as the staff report uh, suggesting that we should opt in. And uh, there'll be, uh, you know, a vote, uh, you know, opt in, opt out. So, uh, you know, partake in that as well. But certainly yeah, get, get a hold of your counselor if you have a view uh, for or against, uh, you know, let, let your counselor know. And uh, that certainly will have a bearing on the vote that we have on January the 14th. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it'll be a special council meeting, so it won't allow for delegations at that point. Ironically... Uh, out of all the people that came to uh, to speak to us the other day about cannabis, I don't think there was a single person that spoke against uh, having uh, or opting in. So uh, they were all uh, they were all opting in uh, opting in proponents, uh, all, many of them in the industry. But you know, usually when we have something controversial, the room is filled with people that are against. There wasn't there wasn't uh, any kind of that angst in the in the room at all, and, and certainly no one that spoke to uh, you know opting out. And that doesn't surprise me. And, and yep. in addition, I just want to say as well, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you also uh, support uh, LRT. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I live on the mountain. Right. I've got three young boys, and, uh, you know, I'm all for it. It, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, where you live in Hamilton. I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a great asset to the city. And, again, people who support it, 
need to call their counselors and uh, and and really get on board. I think again, that's another ridiculous uh, yeah. you know point that there's anybody out there that that's against it. Yeah, you know, Camp. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, you know, I've, we've been working on this uh, quite arduously, and uh, I'm more hopeful now, uh, especially uh, since we heard the premier say that uh, you know there's an election that happened in Hamilton and uh, you know, democracy rules and. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, we ran on the mandate, including LRT, and we were quite successful. And so, uh, I'm hopeful that the premier will be true to his word, and we'll continue on. So, uh, we're moving. We're moving. Everything's moving forward on LRT right now, except for the uh, the, the land freeze that uh, that was in, in, implemented a little while ago. And so, we're going to be appealing to the premier to lift that, and then uh, hopefully, full steam ahead. Excellent. Thanks for thanks for taking my call, guys. Merry thanks, Cam, Thank and you, Cam. Uh, Merry Christmas. Appreciate your call. Thanks so much. 905-645-3221, star 9900. The Bill Kelly Show with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. And uh, Dave, you're next on the program. Hi, Dave. Oh, it's the first chance I got to congratulate uh, the mayor on a big win. Um, Thank you, Dave. I live in Stony Creek. I also voted for RRT. Thank you. I, I can see it's going to lift everybody up. Uh, so let's let's uh, keep rolling, so to speak. Yep. Uh, the, only, <laughs> the, the thing I want to... I'll, I'll tell you the only reason why I'm in favor... Of, of these pot shops or mm-hmm. legalization of marijuana, and I don't know. Maybe you might be able to answer this. Are, are the counselors? And like, I don't, I don't, I don't smoke marijuana myself. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I mean, I've tried it in my youth, but who? I mean, most of us have. And I don't expect you to answer that one, Mister Mayor. You didn't help. <laughs> well, we're kids, ch- right? children of the '60s and '70s, and you know the, the line is, if you remember it, you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but are the counselors aware in their opposition? To me, it's a safety issue because what's been happening lately in the last five years or less, um, do you think they're aware of what these street dealers are putting in there to make it even more addictive to people and, and potentially very, very hazardous? And, yeah. and this is only going to get worse. So that is why I am in favor of this. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, uh, having a regulated market actually regulates the product. And, uh, you know, if you've, uh, if you've ever been one of the grow-ups, and I think that would be a, an educational experience for people because this is where the supply is going to be coming from. Uh, it is so controlled and uh, so, so managed and so, uh, you know, chemical-free. I mean, there's so, much, so many standards. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's regulated. Every plant has to be documented. I mean, it, it is so regulated you can't even imagine. So you, you can have surety of what is in the product. Uh, off on the street, you you really have no idea. You're just buying your 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 kind of a wing and a prayer in terms of hoping that that's the product that you're expecting to get. But there's no there's no guarantee that it's a uh, it's a product that has gone through a, a rigorous uh, you know testing process and a rigorous uh, growing process, and that it's uh, it is what it says it's going to be. So I agree with you. I think that's one of the fundamental issues. And right now, it's uh, it's out in the broader market. You know, especially when you think about the opioid issue, and, and, you know, that's another area that's completely unregulated and now, you know, open to everybody. You don't know what you're getting, and it's killing people. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's the same thing that's going to happen on cannabis, but you're, you're 100% right. In the illegal trade, you don't know what you're getting for sure. Well, in fact, it's a public safety issue, uh, Mr. Mayor, and, and getting onto the opiate uh, part, I've heard stories about there have been traces of opiates found in the marijuana, and that's very concerning. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's possible, and and uh, you know the, uh, the those that are producing this stuff want it want to make it addictive. Uh, would like it to be a regular uh, habit for you, so that they can continue to reap the profits. And so uh, you know, having a regulated market, I think, would end a lot of that. So uh, that's uh, I mean, part of part of the uh, I think the rationale on the federal government side is let's decriminalize this thing. Let's get the let's 
get the illegal trade out of there. And I think over time that will happen. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think it happens day one, whether you're, you know, when you've opted in and you've got retail outlets, I think there'll still be elements out there to try and undercut the market. But over time, it'll be like uh, liquor is today, which you don't, you don't see a lot, a lot of stills out there anymore and people producing their own hooch, uh, you know, and selling it off the, uh, the back of the truck. That, uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. It's all done through a very controlled, uh, you know, process and you know the product you're going to get is safe and, uh, and, and as long as you consume it safely, of course. Okay, well, good luck in the upcoming term. Forward straight ahead and let's make the city even to be greater. Let's keep it on track. Thank Thanks you so very much. much. Appreciate Thank your Merry call, Christmas. Dave. Uh, i got a few more minutes, a few more phone calls for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Hi, Vic. How are you this morning? I'm good. Yourself? Great. Thank you. Go ahead for the mayor. Yeah, Mr. Mayor, uh, I talked to you before about uh, I had reconstruction done here on my streets uh, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Right. Uh, nobody's holding these contractors responsible. We have water breaks all over here. Uh, we have the roads that are all cracked to pieces. The only difference in our survey now is the roads are smoother. Mm-hmm. But now with the thawing and thawing and on-thawing and rain and everything, the roads are heaving. Uh, water breaks all over. They didn't do no water mains. They didn't do the sidewalks they did are cracking all over. Sidewalks they didn't take out. Uh, trips all over. And this has been a year and a half. I've called your office. Mm-hmm. I've called my alderman's office uh, for a year now. I've been getting no response, and I'm getting nobody coming out to look at this. So the contractor that did this here is walking away with free money. Uh, there's about a half a year left on the two-year warranty. So when that goes, who's going to flip the bill for this? Is it going to be taxpayers? Okay. Why, are, why aren't you guys holding these guys to the fire to make them come back and fix these roads? The sewer should have been done here. Vic, first question, what street do you live on? I live on Hawkridge, on the mountain, West Mountain. Okay. okay. In between, in between uh, Upper James and West Fifth, south of Mohawk. All righty. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I, I don't recall the conversation, Dave, but uh, we do, uh, you know, hold people to account. There are warranty periods. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know... F- Fortunately and unfortunately, uh, we have uh, we have eliminated some contractors out there that have not been doing uh, you know appropriate work. So, all of that does happen, uh, but the environment also happens as well. So we have a, a wholly different situation uh, these days in terms of freeze thaw and year to year. We're seeing those impacts on the uh, the link. We're seeing those impacts on you know our, our major arterial roads. We're seeing it on the escarpment, and it's costing us uh, significantly more money to be able to deal with the freeze-thaw winters that we're having, uh, you know, I, I say it's a climate change issue, and I think that's, uh, I think that's reasonable to, to assume. And we're going to have to be dealing with, uh, you know, additional costs for all of those things over the years. But, you know, warranties on, on uh, we, we want top quality uh, work done by the contractors that we contract. Uh, we do monitor that. Uh, I'm not sure why, uh, you know, this, this thing has fallen through the cracks, uh, if it has. And so I can certainly follow up with you, Dave. And if you want to leave the number with uh, someone, uh, you know, here, uh, you know, so that uh, you could call the office or you could call, uh, again, 905-546-4200 as our, is our uh, mainline office number. And uh, I, I'm surprised that no one got back to you. But, uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, the sewers aren't even taking the water. At least when the roads were all up and down and everything, the sewers were taking the water. Mm-hmm. The, they're, they're not even taking the water. You mean stormwater? Yeah, on yeah. Tyrone, right. around the bend. When uh, we get rain and it freezes, 
you've got a sheet of ice from curb to curb. Okay. And, All right. And, Listen, and you... that gentleman's been calling uh, ever since it happened. Vic, well, wait, we're that. just about out of time, so I'm, I'm going to get uh, Jacob to put you on hold. And uh, you can call, or talk, Jacob will get your phone number from you, and we'll pass that on to the mayor, okay? Because we have to move on. We've just got a, a little bit of time left here, and I want to get to uh, a few more calls. Uh, I do appreciate that, though, and uh, I know that uh, the mayor will follow up with you. Let me get yep. to Robert, who's been waiting patiently uh, onto the program here. Robert, go ahead for Mayor Eisenberger. How you doing, Mr. Eisenberger? I'm great, Robert. How are you? Not too bad. Good. I just have one concern. With all the marijuana that's going to be here in Hamilton seeming to be the capital of Ontario for marijuana, and we know the history, and you got, yeah, I heard you compare marijuana with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody compare marijuana with cigarettes. And the history of RJR, uh, uh, cigarette company, and all the rest of the company with tar and everything, and everybody's suing them now because all the stuff they put into it, how are we going to prevent that? Well, the best way to prevent that is to have a regulated market. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, you, know you, you, you assume that uh, this is all going to be about smoking marijuana, which, uh, you know, initially may, might be, you know, the prevalent thing, but that, that is going to change dramatically. And, you know, I, I don't think that people that currently do not smoke are going to take up smoking marijuana, quite frankly. I think if you don't smoke, you're not going to smoke this stuff because that's, uh, that's not healthy for you. Uh, but there are going to be a whole range of other products out there that, uh, that are consumable in various <coughs> different called, ways. Called edibles. Whether there's edibles, there are oils, there are caplets, there are pills, there's, uh, there's balms, there's salves. Uh, you know, Coca-Cola is, uh, is getting into the business and Shoppers Drug Mart's getting into the business with a whole range of products that can be consumed that you don't have to smoke. That is, you know, smoking is not going to be the prevalent way that people are going to be consuming this. Uh, people assume that to be true, but that's just not the case. So uh, I would say that uh, we would be advertising and promoting to people that uh, smoking anything uh, is not uh, not good for your health. Uh, that con- that will continue. Uh, you know, we are we're going to we're going to continue to have an anti-smoking campaign, and that it will now apply to uh, cannabis. All the rules related to smoking are going to p- apply to cannabis. So you cannot smoke in a in a restaurant. You can't uh, do it in, uh, you know, public places. In fact, you can't even do it in parks anymore. Uh, that will apply to cannabis as well as to uh, cigarettes. So uh, I, 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 I think that's a concern, and we're addressing that concern to the best way we can. But uh, I'm hopeful that uh, the majority of the people who are not going to be smoking this product are going to be taking it in different ways. Thanks to everybody who uh, called in today. Uh, for those that uh, we couldn't get to, our apologies. We'll uh, do this again next month. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, you Merry and, Christmas. You and Diane and the yeah. Eisenberg, you have a very Eisenberger Christmas this year. You bet. Uh, we're going uh, we're gonna to light up that, uh, that tree and uh, have a, you know, I, I wish I could think of the line. What's, what's the line in the, in, in, uh, vacation, uh, National Lampoon uh, Christmas Vacation? Oh, gosh. I don't know which uh, one. It was the, uh, it's not Gene Kelly, it's Red Skeleton. I, I don't think I can say that line. Never mind. <laughs> it's a great line. And, uh, you know, hopefully all the lights will work and everybody will have a bright, nice, bright Christmas. And uh, to you as well, Bill, uh, and to everybody here at CHML. We, we, we witnessed the uh, the donations downstairs yeah. of all the, uh, the people bringing it in. It, it is absolutely heartening to see that people are looking after others in our community. And we encourage more people that if they have the resources and you can share some money or some some gifts or toys or whatever with uh, the, the, the needy organizations out there that are distributing, please do that. Thanks so much, uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. And as I say, we'll do another town hall in just a couple of weeks after the holidays. Perfect. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Closing in on the end of the year, and uh, the time, of course, if you watch any of the, uh, the news shows on the uh, television, of course, everybody's doing the interviews with the Prime Minister and, 
it's uh, the year in review, so to speak, and it's been quite a year in Ontario politics, especially. We obviously had a general election, a change of government, and uh, a lot of other changes and quite a few surprises. Uh, to talk about this, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Richard Brennan, retired journalist uh, with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and uh, Parliament Hill for many, many years. Uh, thanks for coming in again. Good to have you here. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me in. Uh, it, it, War Association, 2018 politics. What, what's the word that comes to mind? Chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would think, yeah, things haven't gone as I'm sure a lot of the leaders, be it federal or provincial, had hoped they would. Things have been a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a mess, quite frankly. Well, let's let's focus on Ontario, and I'm sure that we'll branch off into other elements of this because they're they're so intertwined in situations like this. We knew there was going to be a, a provincial election in, in this in 2018, and that was happening, and, and I think most people were under the impression that there was probably going to be a change of government. I know there were some polls that said no, it's a lot closer than people think, but it, it, I thought it was obvious that uh, that the, for the most part, people in Ontario were. were pretty tired of the liberal brand and we're looking for something different they were looking for something different i mean they you know they they sent the liberals packing and uh so they're in the penalty box for at least the next you know the next four years for sure and they thought uh you know Ron, or doug ford was going to he was going to be a new face and he was going to uh, take the province in a different direction. Well, I, I, let me back up just a little further than that. Yeah. Because when everybody seemed to be under the impression, that, okay, this government's time is up, there's going to be a change. Uh, we were talking about the potential Premier uh, Patrick Brown. I mean, there that's that's one of the other big stories. I mean, you know, he had his people's guarantee. I mean, he thought he was going to coast a victory. I know the polls started to show that, and we were, I think, trying to wrap our heads around the idea that this guy was going to be the Premier. And then, boom! That is a story in itself. I mean, Patrick Brown, first off, he looked like he was, you know, he could be the next premier. Next thing he knows, uh, you know, he's in a, a bit of a scandal and uh, real or imagined. And so he steps down, then comes back, and then he's going to run, for, you know, and then he drops out again, and he's going to run for uh, the chair of uh, Peel Region and... Doug Ford put the boots to that idea. Then he runs for Brampton. People thought, oh, he doesn't have a chance. Well, guess who's the new mayor of Brampton? It's, I mean, uh, this is all in one year. Yeah. It was uh, unbelievable. And so that, that threw the whole conservative party into a bit of, uh, a, a, bit of a chaotic state. In fact, that they didn't, they, they're losing their leader yeah, Doug Ford steps up. People are saying, you know, is he the guy to do it? And uh, as we all know, he was the guy that did it. But I want to back again, as if as you've been covering this for many, many years, and you had the, the progressive conservatives here in Ontario that thought they were poised to win government. Of course, John Tory thought that a few elections ago, too, and that didn't quite work out. So you never know until they actually they count the votes. We get that. But Brown was doing something to that party. I mean, they were considered still to be the party of Mike Harris, uh, Common Sense Revolution. Uh, these guys are slash and burn. And Brown was trying to move them to the middle. Absolutely. Uh, a la Bill Davis. And and in hindsight now, Richard, I, I don't know if too many of us actually f discerned it at the time. Uh, the party hierarchy didn't want to go to the middle. They didn't. And uh, there was a bit of a coup. Uh, there's no question, no question in my mind at all that the allegations against Mr. Uh, Mr. Brown were, uh, let's put, they were, they were leaked, whatever you want to call it, 
by people on the inside who didn't want Brown to be leader. And it was, it was a coup. There's no question in my mind at all on that. And, you know, he was taking the, he was taking the party, like you say, Al, Bill Davis. It was, you know, it was going to be middle of the road and very much uh, the old red Tory ideas, actually, including right down to his environmental stand. Carbon tax. He was yep. okay with the government's, the federal government's proposed carbon tax yep. plan. Uh, LGBTQ issues. Yeah, he's okay with that. Uh, just about everything they checked off boxes that said, no, Patrick Brown's too radical. He said, no, no, I'm a middle-of-the-road guy. And I, I, obviously there was, uh, again, there was this, this coup, and, and they used obviously this vehicle, but these accusations was the vehicle that they used for it. But it was, uh, it was, it was not bloodless, that's for sure. Oh, no. And it took, I, I think it, uh, it took Patrick Brown a, a while to recover from, I mean, it was just, it, it threw him for an absolute loop. And I, he was bouncing from pillar to post. And you know, I think a, a lot of of Ontarians would have would have accepted his ideas, but they weren't accepted from the inside, and particularly particularly by the Harper uh, crew. They did not want his his ideas to be implemented whatsoever. So he's gone in in a, in a very messy fashion. There's going to have to be leadership. We're getting closer and closer to this election date. So again, the assumption, I think, by an awful lot of people is, well, Christine Elliott's going to be the new leader. I mean, how can she not be? And she almost won it last time. She's uh, Everybody likes her, even the opposition parties. There's a lot of respect for her. Slam dunk, right? And, oh, that Doug Ford guy's running. Yeah, well, you know what? He hasn't got a chance. Where have you heard that before? Well, just when you think that something's going to happen in politics is when it doesn't happen. I mean, I've been wrong so many times before. And, you know, I, I thought Christine Elliott would probably probably get the nod. But I never discounted Ford because he brought that, that sense of populism to the, to the race. And something that people, he sold people that bumper sticker politics that they were looking for, that kind of everything simplified, you know, let's, you know, to borrow an expression, let's make Ontario great again kind of slock. But it was variations on that theme. Oh, it was absolutely. And he, he crept up the middle. I mean, Mulroney looked like Mulroney might have a chance. And certainly everybody, you know, thought Christine Elliott certainly had a chance and, you know, would possibly be the next leader. And, and he blew up the middle and uh, blew them out of the race. But how did that happen? I mean, you, well, you and I watched the debates. The, I'm talking about the leadership debates yeah, yeah. now. Ford did not perform well at all, did not look like he was ready to handle this. He sounded very uninformed about a lot of the key issues, yet they gravitated to him. Because he simplified things. People just want you to give them a simple message, and, and he did that. He didn't. He wasn't complicated by any stretch of imagination. They didn't want to hear about you know all the, you know the policy, great policies you're going to bring in. They just wanted a guy who might be different, and and he was. It's uh, it's. I can still picture it just about every stop. It depended on what his speech was about, but he had a, a sticker for it for the front of the podium, you know, for the people, you know, for free beer, buck of beer, whatever it was going to be. And I guess if you keep hammering that message, it, it eventually resonates. By the way, just before I forget, there's only one brewer left yes, in Ontario that's selling a buck of beer. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was, it was that message, that simplified message. Like I say, it's, you know, it, it's the kind of message that you, you want to give at the door. You can't, you can't complicate things 
and expect people to vote for you. Sure, they want to know your policies are in a in a straightforward, simplified fashion. If you get into the nitty gritty and down in the weeds, you lose the folks. So it was a perfect storm, though. Uh, obviously, the the people within the Progressive Conservative Party wanted to stay on the right wing side, uh, and they found their their person to do that, and that mm-hmm. would be Doug Ford. Uh, and at the same time, you had an Ontario electorate that just said, "You know what? We've had enough of the Liberals. Uh, we're looking for someplace else." Uh, but there was some talk that, well, maybe Andrea Horvath and the NDP have got a shot at this. But uh, when you look at the numbers, they were never really in the ball game. They always, you know, there's always that. I've, like you know, I've covered elections since you know Adam was a pup. But the point is, people always think that the NDP are going to do much better than they actually do. There was nobody happier than Andrea Horvath to get official opposition. I mean, they were they were giddy with excitement, the fact that they got that far. And, and they did quite well. I never thought for a second that they would form a government, not even a minority government. Because what happens, there's, a, there's an interesting phenomenon that's occurring now, Richard, and uh, when people become disenchanted with a candidate or a political party, uh, oftentimes they don't switch allegiance. They just don't vote. Well, th- th- that was the trouble with the liberals. I think a lot of the liberals just stayed home. I mean, I never expected them to uh, to certainly get back into power, but you know, under the you know under the the right uh, scenario, they might have got opposition. But I there are just people that just stayed home, and their supporters who maybe it had didn't quite identify with Kathleen Wynne's approach to things. Well, and that was obviously one of the big stories, not that so much that they won, but how Doug Ford's uh, meteoric rise to be the leader of the uh, PC party and eventually become premier. Uh, so they, they, they've had the reins for six months. Give me some assessment. I mean, they, in some people's minds, they've just bounced from one controversy to another. Others are saying, no, they're getting things done. Well, there's a, there's a, a bit of both, actually. I think that in this first six months is a is a bit of a learning curve for any government and I think that the I think Doug Ford and his his government has found that in spades they haven't been able to bulldoze in a way that they'd hoped to do and it it showed I mean we can we can go down the list here of things that you know just more recently you know appointing his a old buddy of his to the as the OPP commissioner well you just can't do that stuff. You know, you might have been when, you know, you deco labels. You, when you told somebody at deco labels to do something, they did it. You're the boss. Well, it's, And if you want to hire your nephew, you hire your nephew. Hire your nephew. But this is government. It's a totally a different fish, believe me. Uh, there have been a couple of quick resignations that were somewhat surprising. Jim Wilson, who's been there since, what, 1991, I think? A long uh, time. That was a surprise, obviously. Uh, but there a, a couple of other folks, too. Uh, it, that's typical of government, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, not the personal crises that seem to be the, the, the rationale for that, but there's always going to be people that fall out of that. There are some cabinet selections that maybe don't work out, and, and there has to be a reevaluation. Well, the yeah, b- people, people come and go. I, I don't, you know, certainly... Uh, he left under a cloud, and 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 that's that's always unfortunate. But you know, faces faces change. The one resignation, and it wasn't political. Was the re- resignation? I forget the name. It doesn't come to my tongue right now. 
but was basically the, the government's accountant who wouldn't sign off on the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I th- found that, she, you know, she uh, resigned because she wouldn't, I believe she, and wouldn't, wouldn't uh, sign off on it. And I found that very telling, is that they were, they were criticizing the liberals for, in, for inflating the budget and, and, and or, or, you know, saying that budget was one thing and is actually another thing. And she just wouldn't, the, she wouldn't sign off on what the Tories were saying. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, you're, are you kind of being what you just criticized the government for? And that was not being entirely truthful. But how many times have you seen that in all the years you've been covering Queen's Park? Uh, it, it's it, This is what they're going to be. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's like that old line from the the song by The Who, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Mm-hmm. Same old, same old, just a different guy calling the shots. It is and it isn't. We're, we're talking in terms of a political uh, scenario. We're talking governments that were in, in diametrically impo- opposed. Sure, that's, yeah. Uh, liberals and, and the... Uh, the Conservatives, progressive conservatives. We're we're seeing a government, you know, that's saying is doing some of the things it said, and it, it was going to, it wants to bring down the budget, uh, and and pay down the budget, and you know, tighten the purse strings up some. But that's easier said than done, because as soon as you tighten the strings. One point, you're goring somebody's ox. Mixed metaphors here, I understand, but you're goring somebody's ox when you do that, and we're already hearing that with out of the Minister of Education with with cuts to uh, you know in classroom programs and otherwise. Well, and again, I guess one of the first uh, policy decisions they made that caused so much in the way of reverberations was when they said, "Okay, we're not doing cap and trade anymore. That green energy stuff has gone." Uh, not understanding or maybe not caring, I don't know which one it was, that there's a certain revenue flow that was going to the cities like that for repairs, for housing, things of this nature. That dried up, like mm. bang, with the stroke of a pen. Uh, and, and obviously that's that's the worst kind of downloading. But, uh, you know, when you say you're going to save $6 billion in efficiencies, but you're not going to lay anybody off, I, know, I, I don't know how realistic that is. It's unrealistic, I, I guess there's more to the point. But people buy into it. In other words, it's it seems to me that we're at the point now, not just in Ontario, but probably uh, elsewhere in the country as well, where people will tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to know. That's right. You know, and just to, to get back to you know to some of the policies, you know, the gov- the government, the Ford government doesn't like what the, what you know the environmental policies of the last government or the federal governments. And I think where he's made a mistake on, on opposing cap and trade or carbon is the fact that they he's never he never really give a lot of thought to the fact of well how much it's going to cost to oppose it. They're talking there are estimates of thirty million dollars it's going to cost to fight the federal government's plan to bring in cap and trade. You know that money is money that he could have used. To pay down the deficit. Yeah. So there's so many contradictions I find in many governments, but in particular this government, is the contradiction of saying one thing and doing another. What do you, I've got a, <clears throat> excuse me, got about a minute left here. What do you see coming up in 2019? Then they, they, they've had six months in office. Uh, as are they going in the direction they want to go in now? Is I mean, the Tavender thing that you just referenced has not been resolved yet. 
uh, that's obviously something that's going to be on their blotter right in the, as soon as they come back. For, well, I guess even before they come back for, uh, for their, their Christmas break, because it's mid-February when they actually get back into the legislature. Well, things will start to smooth out. We all, we've all seen governments flail away, and that, you know, you hope they do, flail away for the first six months. They're, they'll have to kind of step back, takes a break during the Christmas time, and step back and, and figure out where they're headed and maybe smooth out some of their rough edges, and you'll see it happen. Richard Brandon, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. And uh, listen, we'll talk again in the new year, but uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks, Bill. Great having you here. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.